if I wanted to tell you the value of a company, I could do that, right? I could mm-hmm. go and get their P&L. I could get their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. I could get their cash flow statement. Mm-hmm. I could get their 10K, their 10Q, which is going to be all of the research and decision making, right? If I want to tell you the value of a person and their decision, how am I going to tell you that? Mm. You need the equivalent of those things. And we have them. I'm Jeremy Dixon, and you're listening to The Misfit Manifesto. What is up, Misfits? Thanks again so much for joining us on Misfit Manifesto. I am so glad to have you with us, whether you're in your car, at your crib, at work, wherever you are, as long as you're here, I think it's a really, really, really cool thing. So Clarissa Joan Middleton is a media maker committed to social change by way of storytelling, digital design, and market innovation that enhances the well-being of humankind. In today's episode, I dive deep into understanding her research with the mind, spiritual formation, and how she interweaves technology into her work. I don't care where you are. Make some crazy noise, y'all, for my guests. This is Sister Clarissa. How are you? Hi. It's so good to see you. It is good to see you. It's good to be here. Thank you And I am a misfit, so I'm I'm hyped. Whoa. (laughs) Right from the beginning, she called it out, ladies and gentlemen. She's a misfit. Make some noise. Right from the beginning. (laughs) Jesus was a misfit. Whoa, why don't we clap for that, too? Let's go. <laughs> thanks so much, Clarissa, and and thanks for joining us. Um, I, I'm one of your biggest fans. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, you you are, you know your your mind, your your work, your passion, your vision. And I know everyone's like, well, what's it? listen, you guys will know in a minute what I'm talking about when when Clarissa like gets to talking about all the things that she's been cogitating about and kind of working on. But um, here's what I want to do. I want to do two things. I was going to start with one question, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I feel like I want to – the way I'm looking at this is like, hey, you're a misfit, but what's your origin story? So mm. let's start from childhood. And you can truncate it, mm-hmm. give as much as you feel, you know, is appropriate. But give us a little bit about, you know, the, the origin story of Clarissa. Um, I started as a misfit, so I was raised by my great-grandparents in oh, wow. West Philadelphia, born and raised on the, on the playground, playground is where it's been most of my days. I was not allowed to go to the playground. Uh, <laughs> 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 the pathway of the playground was not in line with the vision, but I was raised Amen. by my great-grandparents and because my parents were teenage parents, hmm. and my mother got sick in her last trimester with me. And so it was just um, a large extended family on both sides. But my great-grandparents, my maternal great-grandparents were the ones who got the baton. And they took it and they ran with it. And and I'm grateful for that. And I was raised by business owners. Mm. And so I am actually, I've been saying this lately to my cousin, who has a um, a a brand, a clothing brand called Strive and Prosper. Let me shout him out. Strive and, um, and Prosper, let's go. And so I was saying to him, we are not first-generation business owners. Mm. We're actually third-generation business owners. And so my great-great-grandmother, she integrated a all-white Jewish neighborhood. Our, so my neighborhood that I grew up in is one of those um, metropolitan mm. business corridors that you would find in Chicago or New York or in Philadelphia sure. in the 50s that was all-white that she bought land, bought properties, and started a business. And that business fed her generation, the next generation, it supported and invested in the education, in the trades of the third generation, and then 
I'm the fifth generation and wow. it supported me by proxy by the because yeah. I was raised in the in the in the main house, so to speak. Yeah. But I always wondered. They would always tell me stories. Like I they would tell me stories like, oh, we never, you know, in the fifties and the sixties, we didn't have to leave this block for anything if we wanted mm fish if we wanted our groceries if we had to go mm -hmm. to the bank if the baker the butcher the candlestick maker everybody you know you just could walk this five block radius mm -hmm. and get what you what you needed and it was a business community and they had a large extended network you know people in government people in education people in entertainment all knew the entrepreneurs on this block and knew and knew my family and so by the time I got there um, we had black Hardware store, black mm. florist, black baker, mm -hmm. uh, black um, church ownership, sure, all these sure. things. But it was obviously, you know, I was born in the 80s. And yeah. if you know anything about inner cities in the 80s, mm -hmm. it's a totally different thing. But I sat up under them all the time, all yeah. of the older women who would come in this beauty salon. And then the barbershop was a separate business next door, but they owned both of them. And all the older men who owned restaurants mm. and... Um, you know, worked at di different city offices and I just would listen to their stories and I just always wondered, like, how did we get here? Mm. You know, like, how did we get from my great-great-grandmother integrating this business corridor to mm -hmm. now we're not sure how many of these businesses will survive past a certain amount of generations? Yeah. And so that was where my, that's where my story started, being raised wow. by small business owners and going to undergrad to study finance because I really wanted to support the family business scaling even yeah. more and being sustainable even for more generations than what it had already been. Yeah. So that that kind of leads, I mean, even just kind of hearing that gives me some indication about why you are like the way you are. <laughs> I mean, I'm, and, and I mean it in the, in the best way possible, like... I hear your story, and I'm, I'm going to have you talk to our listeners a little bit about kind of your your um, your professional narrative. You know, mm -hmm. I want to get into that, but, like, hearing you tell that, talking about what you grew up seeing, yeah. the the pedigree you come from, yeah. it makes a I lot get, of it sense. It gets me goosies. Yeah, dude, that, that's dope. Okay, so— And I knew my great-great-grandmother. She died when I was 22. That's major. She 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 passed away. I graduated from college, and when I was coming coming back from New York City to come home, I spoke to her. I know about your her, great great my great great grandmother. See, I mean, she they come from an era where people got married younger, they had babies yeah. younger. Yeah. And so I know how she she grew up in Cooksaki, New York, upstate New York, and she left her her community when mm -hmm. she was about 12 or 14 to go into Albany and to work and built wow. her business in Albany first and then got a special like one of those weird kind of like flute things where she was on a TV show called Strike It Rich. I don't even know if people know that there was a TV show called Strike It Strike It Rich in the 50s. You know I mean? If you if you go to um the Rose Garden okay. at um by USC, okay. there's like a Rose Garden. They have plaques for all the old TV shows. There's mm -hmm. a Strike It Rich plaque there. I randomly walked into it one day just like in the Rose Garden which like like freaked me out. <laughs> but um she was on the show and they they ask you like if you win the money, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? And she said, um, if I win this money, I'm going to go down to Adele Reed's cosmetology school in Philadelphia. This was one of the only black women in the country who had a black um, a, a cosmetology school for black hair. Hmm. 
So she had went to cosmetology school mm -hmm. in Albany, but she wanted to go and pick up some trades on just like what it's like to do our, our hair mm -hmm. and in the cosmetology school. And so she didn't win, but she got um, Miss, Miss Adele so much promotion from saying this on the show that she gave her a free scholarship. Get out of here. And she relocated our family from Albany to Philadelphia. And you said, did this journey start when she was 12 to 14? When she was 12 to 14, she left Kuksaki to go into Albany, and she got a lot of jobs, and she, you know, she worked. She would clean floors. She would be domestic, but then she went, eventually got a, a beauty salon up there. And so she, by this time in her fifth, in the 58, she was born 1915. Um, wow. So she was in her, like, 40s, you know. That's incredible. By that time. So my assumption is finishing her education didn't happen. At that age, if she's making no. that transition. No. But in her narrative, she's a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So she didn't finish. I don't, she didn't know. She didn't finish high school. Right. Um, but she, uh, but back then you could go to trade school yeah, yeah, later yeah. on without yeah. having finished sure. high school. So yeah, you know, she didn't finish high school. I think I would be the first between her, cause all of my grandmothers were alive. So my great, great grandmother, my great grandmother who raised me, my grandmother, then my mother, then me. So that five generation lineage wow. was alive and intact until I was 22. Then from 22 to 26, they all passed away. So in four years I lost I, all, all of them want to be with God. So you think, talk about crazy. You're like, yeah. all my life, I have yeah. like multiple generations yeah. of these women and their stories and they're transparent and they're mm -hmm. vulnerable and they're raw, but they're believers. Yeah. And then four years of saying, yeah. you know, the changing of the guards. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now it's me. And yeah. then I have two daughters. That's amazing. Please <laughs> tell me there is a picture of all five yes. of you. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because that's amazing to think about yes. that. There's a picture of me and all five of them. Um, and I have my grandmother and my great-grandmother on my dad's side as well. So there's a picture okay. of me and all of my grandmothers. My mother's not in the picture. Okay. Uh, and then there's a picture of my eldest great-aunt okay. when she was a baby mm -hmm. with five generations up from her. That's amazing. So we're talking like yeah. 10 generations yeah. up from nine generations <laughs> up from me. That is crazy. And I have handwriting. So my great-great-grandmother, she was writing in her final year. She moved into the house with us when I was in high school. Okay. And she would be writing in her room. And she wrote stories about like her great grandmother, her grandmother's like golden anniversary, like when they got when they when they celebrated fifty years of marriage and what mm. the house was like and um, the island. They, I think they were from um, one of her one of the paternal lines was from Bermuda, Hamilton, Bermuda, mm -hmm. and she was writing about the different post office and things that are probably not there if I went. Sure, sure. But she left a lot of those things. I've had, I have her handwritten prayers. And I have also the hours and hours of conversation that I would like spend speaking with her and what she would say to me, just things like when I was your age, or she would look at me sometimes, she would like, you know what I would give to, to have your legs, like mm -hmm. just like to be able yeah. to walk again because yeah. she couldn't, she was in a wheelchair at that yeah. time. Or um, I got to take her to vote for President Obama. That's huge. <laughs> I get choked up That's thinking huge. about that. We had to carry her down into the basement where yeah. the voting booth was. So all of that really lives inside of me as I think about, like, what is my mark on the world sure. and what do I want my children to gain? What do I want my children to inherit yeah. from me? Because I inherited yeah. such rich vision yeah. 
and so the tenacity to I, see it through. I was about to say that's. I mean, that's what I hear. I mean, I hear individuals who understood that the future mattered mm -hmm. and that their perseverance was a big piece mm -hmm. of what would come from them and charting out, seeing more, that tenacity to just continue to search, to, mm -hmm. to push, right? So here's my question. How often do you, or in what seasons, and I'm sure they're always present, you know, on some level, but in what seasons do you, do you find yourself most vividly drawing back to those moments you had with her to sit, like how often or in what moments are you like pulling that up? When I'm having to make decisions about our life trajectory, mm -hmm. per, about my life trajectory personally and professionally and raising my daughters. Yeah. Because now my daughters are growing up in a completely opposite like set of circumstances sure. to me. Yeah. So they have their mater they have their paternal grandmother, mm -hmm. but other than that, they don't. Mm -hmm. So I my my girls there, my daughter be nine on Monday and my oh, um nice. and I have a seven year old. They ask me so many questions about them. Mm. And they are homeschooled. So they're watching me build the business. Mm -hmm. And so they're constantly like, well what would this and like, mm -hmm. you know, like they were with me. Um, I took them to see the strike it rich. Okay. Okay. Um mm -hmm. little plaque. Mm -hmm. And they know the story. They know how, like what yeah. what that means, yeah. and you know they know their names, and so it, it it's a huge part of my sure. purpose. I'm always thinking about it. That's dope. Okay, so so you have an interesting professional like mm -hmm. journey, um, and it's so many plots and pieces. <laughs> so here's what I want to do. I want to let you kind of walk us through because we're, we're headed somewhere in this conversation, mm -hmm. but the context matters. What you've picked up over the years matters. How you've educated yourself matters to like where we are now. Talk about professionally the places you've been leading up to now. Yeah, so that's my great-great-grandmother invested in the education of her grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So my great-uncle was the national salesperson for the Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer. Mm. He handled um, the Staples account. Okay. Like he handled, he would go to New York. And so mm -hmm. I would go to his offices after high school to wait for him because he lived in the suburbs. So mm -hmm. I would go to his office from my, my, my high school and then drive out to the suburbs with him. And I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer at the time. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm going to be an FBI agent or I'm going to be a lawyer. I, everyone's like, you know, I just cared about uh, caring for people sure. in a sense. I could always see the bigger picture and I always had the capacity to communicate that sure. bigger picture. Uh, I didn't understand it the way I understand it now, what that mm -hmm. gifting is. But I was like, okay, so I can defend people mm -hmm. in the court of law. Mm -hmm. I could defend people with, you know, if I go to the FBI. And so I was a DEA explorer in high school and I ended up being a New York City police cadet in undergrad. And wow. so I was like, yeah, we don't need to actually do law enforcement. But mm -hmm. I, when at that time they did not, and this is for anybody out there who is a parent and their mm -hmm. children want to go to law school. Mm -hmm. Back then, about over a decade and a half ago, they did not recommend that you majored in pre-law. Mm -hmm. They wanted you to major in a specialty. They wanted you to have almost like a classical education where you understood subject matter and could speak to the world at large because they're going to teach you the law. Sure. And so that was the thing. So like, I was not going to major in pre-law. So what would I major in? And like I said, my family is small business owners. I'm sitting at my uncle's desk one day and he has all these Wall Street journals because he's always reading them. And I saw, I can't remember exactly what deal it was, but it was like a deal. It was either the deal between Disney and Pixar mm -hmm. or some kind of Disney deal. And mm -hmm. I was reading it and I was like, hmm, 
I like this. Mm-hmm. Like, I like this understanding. Mm-hmm. I like understanding what's going on behind the brands that we know. These, sure. You know, we know, you know, what we what they offer. We know mm-hmm. you can go to Disney World, you can get a backpack, you can get all these things. But the business, the thinking, the decision-making behind it, I want to understand that. And so I learned that that was finance. And so I majored in finance at St. John's University in New mm-hmm. York, thinking that I would be a financier or work on the on Wall Street for two years and then go straight to get my you know, my MD, MBA, JD, sure. by the time I graduated, it was my, it was my PhD, JD. So I was going, <laughs> I was going, I was looking, I was considering getting my PhD in economics mm-hmm. and my JD. Mm-hmm. And, but my last year at St. John's, I did some special things. So I worked on the $2 million equity fund that we had, which is an endowment. So it's like people, alumni, donated $2 million for students to manage it. So student managed investment fund. I also was in a program called EIRP, Entrepreneurs in Residency Program, where students worked with corporations in New York City, and we did the consulting for them. So mm-hmm. we had four projects throughout the semester, throughout the school year, and they would give us their problem. This is what this is a challenge that our sure. business is going through. This, yeah. they, they put you with a team, and then you solve that. And then the last thing, which was a new thing, which was St. John's got an endowment to start a microfinance fund. And that microfinance fund was working through the Catholic organization, the Daughters of Charity. Mm-hmm. And so I was a part of the inaugural group of that class, and it was called Globe Global Lending Opportunities for Budding Entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And so we had to structure the loans, and we had to figure out, like, if a woman in Ethiopia mm-hmm. needed $40 to buy a cow mm-hmm. to— um, this she needs forty dollars. This is kind of micro loan mm-hmm. to buy this cow to build, create a business, mm-hmm. and then through that that loan she would feed her whole family mm-hmm. and she would create wealth in yep. her community. Yep. And so the daughters of charity were like our front office. They would vet the people mm-hmm. and they would get, take the applications. We had to design the applications. We had to design the terms mm-hmm. and all these types of things. And so I, that changed my life in the sense that I got to meet Muhammad Yunus, who won a Nobel Prize in economics, I think. He was, wow. he's from Bangladesh. Yeah. And he, um, you know, similar story to me, his family, a, a great family raised him to go and, you know, go off to Europe or England and, mm-hmm. you know, get the degree and make the life and sure. have your kids. And one day he went back to Bangladesh just on a vacation mm-hmm. and he saw, you know, kids eating out the sewer. Mm. He just saw the poverty mm-hmm. in the place where he came from mm-hmm. and it pained him so much that he immediately shifted careers and he built my, the um, Grameen Bank is what mm-hmm. it's called. It's the global micro lending organization. I read about this. And so when I graduated and I had a really great job because I did sponsors uh for Educational Opportunity SEO, which is a great internship program. Also, for anybody out there listening who has any kids in undergrad um, who are thinking about getting into consulting or finance. or um, So this is an organization that looks at top talent, top minority talent Mm -hmm. in undergrad and places them in companies. And so I got placed at a company called AXA Equitable, which was a blessing. And um, because my senior year was the recession, was when we lost Bear Stearns, when we lost all those types of things. So if you did not have a job that you got from the summer, it was hard for a lot of people coming out of my my millennial 2009 
to find a job. Yeah. And so I was fortunate to be on a finance rotation at AXA and which was they wanted me two years to go to the different departments in finance and figure out which one was best for me. Mm-hmm. But my first rotation, <laughs> I did so well. I was working with the SVP and I like saved the company like $5 million. And so they, immediately, they immediately like, were like, well, you know, do you want to... <laughs> we're going to stop this rotation. Right? Like, uh-uh, we got you where you need to be. <laughs> do you want to Do you want to stay here in this department? Do you want to... And I was like, yeah, sure. Because by that time, I was already kind of going through what I now call quarter-life crisis, mm. which is, you know, we prepare people to go to school, yep. get a degree. Yep. I was engaged to my husband, my now husband. He's my mm-hmm. fiancé at the time. Um, but I was pretty depressed and pretty um, not well. I, I felt like I had been built up to believe that, like, getting my degree mm-hmm. and changing my stars was going to be... Yeah everything yeah it was going to be water in the desert yeah and it it was the desert yeah and this was no there's no tea no shade to the companies or the, sure. the, i'm still in contact with all the people that i worked with back then beautiful people that i was able to connect with but it just wasn't my fit yeah it wasn't what god had designed me for yeah and it is that that sparked me to start to begin to think that like obedience is fulfillment yeah and i'm not talking about obedience to the law I'm talking about obedience to the call of God on your life. Yeah. Like if you're yeah. not walking in the way in which God made you to be, I do not care. You could be Anthony Bourdain and Robert Robin Williams. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that's two sides. Because then and, maybe even they were walking in their specific call, but they had never had the spiritual formation, the spiritual growth to deal with to create a, a a blessed narrative out of pains and traumas and things. So there's there's two sides to that to that. And coin. just for context, for those maybe who do or do not know, she's referencing uh, both Anthony Bourdain and and Robin Williams. Unfortunately, ended their lives, mm-hmm. and it was tragic loss to to so many. Mm-hmm. And you know, just kind of working through. Sometimes, you know, we can get lost in the aesthetic and mm-hmm. don't recognize there's a lot of pain mm-hmm. going on internally. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you you know, it's so funny. I was telling a friend recently, you know, you think about all the aspirations that we have in life. And the truth is I've reached places in life where I got where I thought I was going to go, but it didn't feel mm-hmm. like I thought it was going to feel, mm-hmm. you know. And so sometimes just being conscious that if that internal work, you know, is not being done or hasn't been done and not in process, you know, you can be great on the outside. All the all the metrics, all the things are clicking, but still something. Something is off. Yeah, it's something off. is off. And it reminds me of like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about he who puts listens to me yeah. and puts my word into practice. Yeah. He describes two different houses homes. Mm-hmm. Um and one home is a home where the person listens and they put his words into practice and the other home is a home that doesn't. Both homes go through the same scenario. The storms come, the rain beat, all the things. It's like wild chaos, right? It's the the jungle. But one house survives it and one house doesn't. And it's like in those sort of understandings or, or contemplations about the gospel, we think like, well, 
what is this word? Yeah. What is this word that I'm supposed to be listening to, mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to be putting into into practice? And I think that it was at that moment in my life when it, when I started to have that quarter-life crisis. And, and as I said, that was also around the time that my family dynamic started to change because my great-great-grandmother passed away. Yeah. My grandmother had actually passed away a month before my college graduation. And so... And then six months after my great-great-grandmother passed away, my brother was shot in the head. So in this one year, my whole world, and I had never felt hopelessness before. Yeah. But I was like, I'm here in New York City. My family is falling apart as I know it. What am I doing? Yeah. These yeah. people who loved me, who who raised me up to go off and be this person and do this thing, and I'm confused about this, but I don't quite feel I fit right here. But then there's this this um, this hope, this glimmering hope of this microfinance lending, helping small entre- business entrepreneurs, and um, you know, changing the the landscape of how we look at wealth and value, and how mm-hmm. we sustain wealth and value in our communities. And, you know, in the United States and for black and brown people all around the world, it was like just this mm-hmm. collision. Yep. yep. <laughs> and, it, and I was like, OK, here, yeah. here we go. Yeah. I didn't come this far to just be <laughs> mediocre. That's and then, right. Or. That's what wasn't in you. It was, it was Your just, pedigree it doesn't allow for no, you to be mediocre. It wasn't in, it wasn't, it wasn't in me. But yeah. I do remember having a conversation with my great-grandmother who's kind of like, who raised me and mm-hmm. raised me well, but her mother was the one who took all the risks, sure, right? She's sure. the generation who inherited all the benefits, gotcha, right? Gotcha, And then she lived the life that she lived and then ended up raising her great-granddaughter. Yeah. yeah. But she just could not understand it. Hmm. She just was like, we work so hard for you to graduate. You're engaged. We like him. <laughs> You've got money to see Janet and yeah. Broadway. I just don't get it. I I'm like, I don't it. get it either, but I'm not happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's just like, well, you know, we're going to fit. And we, we figured it out. It was a step-by-step mm-hmm. following Jesus. It was yeah. a, a, you know, I love that scripture that says it is the glory of God to hide a thing, but it is the honor of kings to seek it out. And yeah. so I began my journey yeah. of seeking out yeah. God then and there. And it's a journey that changed my life. And it's a journey that I think that we all have to go on. It's like community, society, family can only raise us but so much. That's right. Everybody's going to get to the point where God now has to do, finish the job. Hmm. And are you going to say, are you mm-hmm. going to say yes? And mm-hmm. this was a point where it was like, yeah, you don't understand it. And yeah. I don't understand it. Holy Spirit does. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to follow him to see this, see this thing out. So what's the instruction? <laughs> so you have this moment, this defining moment, this moment of epiphany. Is that when you transitioned? So that is, um, I was in a group, um, I found a group in New York City called Project Enterprise. No, was that Project Enterprise? I think so. I might be getting the name wrong. But they were doing micro lending in Harlem. Okay. And so I joined that group. And then I met a woman who was doing venture capital in emerging domestic markets. Okay. So she was kind of bridging the idea of micro lending and impact or social entrepreneurship with VC. Okay. And so her name's Keisha Cash, and she has a fund called Impact America Fund. And so I quit my job. (laughs) Just was like, peace, I'm out. 
And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, literally like five months before my wedding. Wait, you quit your job five months before your wedding? Mm-hmm. Please tell me that conversation with your soon-to-be husband at the time. So, so this is 2000. Okay, so this is 2011. In 2010, after my brother was yes. shot, I told you, I never felt hopelessness like that before. Yeah. Like, my, I prayed for a brother. My mother was not supposed to have—I told you, my mom got sick yeah. when she had me. So she was not supposed to have any more children. I prayed as a child for mm-hmm. a sibling. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my mother got pregnant with him, I told my babysitter, and I said, I'm having a, I'm having a, a baby. We're having a baby. Mm-hmm. And the look on my babysitter's face let me know that, like, something was not, you know— write about this Hmm. and it was that I didn't know at the time my mom was not supposed to have more kids that her mental health issues would be she was so uh, chemically imbalanced from the pregnancy with me that they said that if she had another baby it would just take her off and she would they didn't know if they could ever get her 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 chemicals balanced back again but she had my brother my brother was everything to me Mm -hmm. and so when he was um when he was shot it was like you know, like you were as a kid, you think you're invincible. Yeah, I was no longer invincible. It's yeah. like I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I, I grew up coming up family. We don't cry. We laugh everything off. Right, hmm. everything's funny. Like we're mm-hmm. just like that kind of family. I was so, I was so hysterical. And this is the moment that I realized something's wrong. <laughs> I was like hysterically crying, and I just remember my great grandparents staring at me like I was like some foreign alien, hmm. and. They were like, you're going to get sick. And I'm like, I'm going to get sick. Don't you know you're... Yeah. Um, and so I went to church. I went to... My brother got shots in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is like hours away from Philadelphia. Sure. So he was far from us. But I had to come down from New York, come to Philly, and then go whoever was driving out to see him during this time. And um, I went to church. To, I went to see him. And then I came back, and it was Easter mm-hmm. in 2010, and I went to my aunt's church with her, and the pastor started to preach on Matthew 11, cast your cares, mm. you know, God cares for you, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and it was clear as day I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, give this to me, yeah, put him on the altar, you can't handle handle this. yeah. And um, so then maybe a couple weeks later, um, I went to see my brother again, and his eyes, they, my aunt had told me his eyes were open. So I was like, oh, his eyes are open, he's up, you know, whatever. And um, I went in his room, and I said, his eyes were like wandering. And I started to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And when I started to talk to him, it looked like he started to track me. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to him. And this is for anybody out there, if you ever go through, I would never wish this on anybody, but this sure. is about the power of God. So I walked up to my brother and I started to say things to him that I knew would resonate with him. So one of the things when we were kids, we would fight over cereal because we didn't grow up together. We didn't grow up in the same house. So I would get what kind of cereal I wanted because I would go to the grocery store and then he would come over and eat my favorite cereal. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, I said, don't you want to go home? Don't you just want to come back? I said, I'll let you eat my cereal. I'll let you eat my cereal. And... um. He was, like, looking at me, and then I started to say, get up, get up. And it looked like he was, like, straining, mm. like, so, like, try and get up. Um, and so I went out into the hallway. It's, it's no, so now a lot of people don't understand Pennsylvania, okay. where I'm from. Philadelphia is a major city, a large African-American population. But if you look at the elections, you're always wondering, like, why, like, 
Pennsylvania could be like a swing state. Sure. Um, because the middle of it, they'll say like Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Alabama in the middle. <laughs> and so my brother was in that middle part got right it, about now. And so I went out into the hallway. It was a lady out there. And I said, hey, I think my brother's responding to me. And this lady, she was like, oh, no, he's not. But she was like, I'll come and check. She was like really rude. And she walked in and she took a pen and she rubbed it up his, I'll never forget, she rubbed it up his foot. And she, she started saying his name, Kevin, Kevin. And she rubbed it up his foot and his eyes were like wandering back over his head again, all over his head again. She was like, no, no, he's not. She was like, he's a vegetable. She told you this? She told me this. And she walked out. Wow. And when she walked out, I went to my brother's bedside and I, my, my brother's a vegetable. Like, yeah. what are you saying to me? And I just started bawling, like hysterically crying. And when I, and I looked up and my brother's eyes were staring directly at me. When I finally looked up, he was staring directly at me. And then he started yelling. Like he was staring at me crying and then he went, ah! and I was like, and then he just shut down and I left. And I, it was like the worst day of my life at mm. that time. And I went back to Philadelphia. I stayed in my old childhood bedroom. I cried my eyes to sleep. I couldn't even, I didn't know what the, the future held. Yeah. Well, two months later, my brother was, eyes were open. He was talking. He was up, up. Wow. And he remembered, he didn't lose any of his memory. He remembered the night he got shot. He remembered his whole life. And I went to see him. Now, he, he, he can't, my brother still can't walk. Sure. But it's not because he got shot in his spine or anything. It's just because of how he has responded to rehabilitation sure, and the, sure. the pain of being rehabilitated after your body has been shut down for so long. But I was in his room one day, and he goes, Riss, my family calls him Riss. He goes, Riss, was that you? And we were all just talking. We had been in there. And he, mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, was that, was that you who came to my room and you had on a staff shirt. I had on my old RA hoodie that said staff on the back. And mm -hmm. he was like, you had, a, you had a, a, a staff shirt on and you were asking me about cereal. And I was like. He heard everything. He heard. <laughs> he heard everything. That changed my life. Yeah. That season yeah. of trusting God. Yeah. Of God saying, you go back, put this on the altar. Yeah. You go back to New York. That's when I started listening to God. So then that makes quitting a job, comparatively speaking, <laughs> infinitesimal. In, in, well, so then the next year, my husband and I started the year off with a five-day water-only fast okay. under this same pastor in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And in that fast, we had been engaged for three years. We didn't have a wedding date. Mm -hmm. And in that fast, um, the Holy Spirit was saying clear as day to me, plan the wedding. Yeah. And I was like, I was so angry because I was like, God... I'm starving, coming to you yeah. about what you want me to do with my yeah. life, and you're talking about a wedding? <laughs> like, I could not believe it. And so, but I was obedient, and we mm -hmm. started to plan the wedding, and then he told me, then the next thing he said was, quit this job. <laughs> and then so my husband commented, I mean, you have to talk to him about it. He probably, sure. At this point, he's probably just like, well, God's order to do this, right, and, then right. and then God's order to do that, and then it happened. And he's just been like, you know, yeah. we've just been now fasting and praying partners. And when That's God amazing. says something, we do it. It's not easy, you know, we sure. don't, you don't know. It's like um, I heard uh, Tim Ross, a pastor, yeah. say this, and it really, it really helped me a lot because mm -hmm. he was like, you know, when you follow God, yeah. 
you won't be, he was like, the spirit of confusion is not of God. Sure. He was like, so when you're following God, you won't have a spirit of confusion. If you feel that, that is the enemy. Yeah. But he said, you will be disoriented. Yeah. And I said, oh my goodness. Shout out to Tim Ross, the basement. <laughs> Come on, y'all, make some noise for Tim Ross. Basement, that's my man. <laughs> Yeah. But I said that he that was like in the last year. I said, oh, yeah. that's what's been going on. Yeah. I've been disoriented because it's so much that's unfamiliar. Yes, yes. Because yes. the world's upside down. Yeah. So when you when God starts to flip your world right side up, yeah. you're like, whoa, what's what used to be a door is now yeah. a wall. Yeah. What used to be a wall is now a door. Yeah. You're just like, I'm supposed to walk through this. I'm supposed to, you know, it's like what used to be a window is yeah. now is. So you end up at USC. Yes. How how does the USC thing come into being? So while I worked in venture capital, mm -hmm. I was we, we was a boutique firm. Okay. So I'm in venture capital. Like yes, now I'm out. And I was also pursuing art at that time too, because okay. one of the things that I did while healing from my brother's incident yeah. was I took I started to take acting classes in New York, okay. and I had been an artist my entire life, writing poetry, sure. making songs, going to the studio as a kid. Um, performing on stages, these, but these were all like hobbies gotcha. because addiction runs in my family. My great grandmother never, ever promoted the arts because mm. she was she studied old time Hollywood actresses, and if you watch any documentary on yeah. any Hollywood actress yeah. or any, those their lifestyles were not anything that anybody would be like, this is the life I want for my child. Yeah, Especially yeah. this golden child that yeah. you're trying to make sure yeah. doesn't, you know, get crushed by the weight of her life circumstances, right? So she's like, you know, you want to be in the church play? You want to be <laughs> you want to be in the, the local community play? Right. Your dad wants to take you to the studio and make music? Oh, yeah, yeah you write, like, you know, you write these, spit these poems out. Cool, girl, cool. Yeah, but yeah. Get these A's and go yep, to college. Yep. And so that was like her thing. But while I was um, in New York, after my brother got shot, I met a m man who was on Broadway. Okay. And we were talking, and we were just having, like, one of those dreaming conversations. Like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, if I could do anything, I'd probably, like, write for Broadway or, like, perform. He's like, well, you should just go take some acting classes. So I did, and the acting classes that I ended up was with Susan Batson, who's, like, one of the leading acting coaches. She's, like, Tyler Perry, Oprah's. Oh, wow, okay. She's Tom Cruise's, Nicole okay. Kidman's. And so I went to her class New Year's Day on 2011. No, nothing mediocre with you. Nothing like you ain't half stepping on nothing. I want the best. Everything's the best. I don't think That's these all people. Right. These That's people right. just end up in my. You know world. what? Just like you know, Misfits <laughs> Manifesto right, Podcast. Like Misfit, you know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> Only the best. Only the best. You understand? But I just right. random. I just randomly walked into you in a beautiful hotel in in Long Beach, right? Yes, like, absolutely. I'm not, this is what happens when you allow God to. To disorient you, yeah, <laughs> you just that's good. you could just sit in the uncomfort uncomfort yep. of not knowing what to do, yes. being humble, yep. admitting it, yeah. You order your steps, yep. So, so, so I you, ended you, up at Susan Batson's doing this coaching her, on her yep. New Year's Eve class, okay. And by the end of the class, she picked me to be in her premier exclusive class. Oh wow! Where she like hand trains sure, people, sure. and she calls this process "develop your own method." Okay. So it's like a twelve-week process, and you learn how to use your own pain mm -hmm. or your own happiness or your own joy for the character. So mm. the, her method is called a truth method. Okay. So having to go through that twelve-month process, twelve-week process, I pretty much like use the catharsis. They call it psychodrama where you, I was like healing myself of so much that I had never, ever really 
you know, it was like, yes, I can say I was raised by my great-grandparents, and we were on a journey for me to become the first college graduate and all these kinds of things, but I still had to interact with my mom. Yeah. And I still had to worry about where she was and what was going on with her, and I'm, you know, my dad had his challenges and things like that. That's not, those aren't easy things to focus your mind on, mm-hmm. but uh, my great Grandparents showed me how to do that because they were AA and they were AA on their own accord. Hmm. So they taught, they raised me with like the, this, the Lord is my shepherd, the yeah. serenity prayer yeah. in not even spoken out. I didn't yeah. find out a lot of these things until I was older and they were like, and my grandmother was gone, but mostly just in how we live. Yeah. Like the practice yeah. of their lifestyle was so sobriety, was yeah. clarity, yeah. was vision, was self-discipline, was all these fruits of the spirit because they yeah. needed that not to ever have to touch sure. the bottle again. And so um, I'm in Susan Batson class and I'm using all this stuff that these tools that she's talking about use these tools to play a character. Mm-hmm. But I'm using these tools to just be the be yeah. under the weight of, yeah. of who I am. And it's no different than God has asked us all to play a role. Sure. And we all have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us up. And we're using, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to pour into what is true for us. It's mm-hmm. like the spirit and the truth. And so it's like you might have just lost your job yesterday. You might have, you know, um, gotten into an argument with a loved one, all these types of things. But God wants to, he wants to empower you in that yeah, role. Yeah. And so I learned these these tools, which are pretty much very similar to spiritual formation tools hmm. and spiritual practices. Yeah. And so that was like the beginning of me understanding that it, you have to, like, it's like re- reiteration, mm-hmm. that you have to, like, every day mm-hmm. get consciously. Like, yep. I knew it in the back of my mind because yeah. I've been doing it all my life. That's yep. how they raised me to not be distracted by my own pain as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I was like, now I'm getting a language for it. Yeah. And the first language I had was Susan Batson's Truth Method. And while I was in venture capital, we're, like, bouncing all around. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing that entrepreneurs can get a lot of resources. But if they don't have clarity mm-hmm. around vision, yeah. they're not going to be able to sustain or scale. Yeah. And also, if they if they do, if you're a first generation entrepreneur, you may do something successful mm-hmm. in that one generation. Mm-hmm. But will it carry out to 10? Yeah. And then I didn't have the language for that, but that was what was inside of me because I knew my great-great-grandmother did it. Sure. But I knew how long it lasted. And now I'm looking at these entrepreneurs and I'm understanding their mindset and where they are. And I'm like, <laughs> we, need, mm-hmm. we need a paradigm shift. Yeah. We need to be working not just with their stewardship of the operations, but they're stupid, like, but they're, but they're minds. Yeah. Like, how do they assess value and see value in the world? What are their paradigms? What are their beliefs? Not just about does this product work, yeah. but what are their beliefs about the intricacies of this product in, in everything? And that changed me. And I realized that the only way to impact that or affect that was media arts and communications, which I was already talented to go into sure. because it was my gift that we just sort of put on the back shelf because they were they were scared of it so or now, they were scared of the world that it would put me it would put me in so now you've got you know you've got the finance background mm-hmm. you have you gotten into the tech back issue yet or are you now you're moving into the the art 
right? Mm-hmm. Like so more the, demonstratively, so when the, does tech get involved? So when I had that quarter life crisis, I was so frustrated. Yeah. I was like, if I got everything that I got, all of the resources, all the networks, yeah. and I ended up here and I'm a mess, mm. I need to go help these kids. Yeah. And so there was a mentor of mine who was a part of an organization called Fiverr, which is an organization that makes a 10-year commitment to children in New York City. Okay. And so they meet them when they're 10, and they take send them out. They provide stipends for them to go to a nice camp mm-hmm. upstate every summer, and then they give them annual some resources around the year. And so they asked me to do a college prep program over the summer. And I said, I will do a college prep program, but if you will let me do it my way. Hmm. And they said, yeah, sure. So I created a program called the Who Am I Leadership Academy, which was not just about helping these kids choose a major, but was about helping these kids identify who they were. So Who Am I I Leadership Academy. Academy. Got it. And so, but I didn't have the faith lens at that point because my faith was super private at that point in time. So, but I was working with them and by the end of the summer, they were like, no one's ever talked to us like you've talked to Mm -hmm. us. No one's ever asked us the questions that you've asked. No one's ever made us feel how you've made us feel. Like we, like we, like who we are, period, matters and has value. Yeah. And so I knew in that, that I couldn't just, how do I get this kind of engagement an experience to a wider range. I just can't go around doing a bunch of workshops. I can, yeah, yeah. but we need to scale it. So that's when I looked at interactive media and the power of interactive media and the power of gaming. Mm. And at that point, that was in 2010, the IMGD, the school that I would end up going to at USC, mm-hmm. was listed at the top for gaming schools at the time. Got because it. it was interactive. It was like, you just can't give somebody a lecture. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like my upbringing with my great-grandmother. Yeah. She, she, it was high stakes for her. She, yeah. One, she was older, yeah. so she didn't know how long she was going to live. Yeah. Two, she had already seen the pitfalls, so mm-hmm. she's like, I need to just answer whatever questions you have. We just need to have open and honest communication, and we need to work, think, work this thing out. Yeah. And so how do we get that type of engagement, because that's the best way to learn. If you look at the learning chart, they have all these learning charts. How much do you learn from hearing, from a lecture, from homework, from practice, from experience? The highest one is practice. So this is dope. So now I'm going to, I'm going to cut to when we meet each other. So uh, a good friend of mine, shout out to Najuma Smith Pollard, uh, works with USC um, in their religious, I'm, I'm going to get the name wrong, but she works in USC with their religious. Dornsife. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and so she invites me to be on this panel and mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, kind of like life after the pandemic and things like what we learned and things, you know, we're just going to. So anyway, so I'm sharing mm-hmm. in this Long Beach hotel mm-hmm. and I start talking. Waterside. And, right. Yep. And, and I'm talking about the fact that we're kind of getting into media and technology and I talk about, you know, the metaverse and I'm talking all different things, whatever. You stand and you ask a question. I can't remember what it was. Or you make a point. And then after when I were done, you come over to me and you're like, hey, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the metaverse. Because mm-hmm. I think you understood what I was trying to say, but we're trying mm-hmm. to give me better language mm-hmm. for like this larger Web3 conversation. The fact that I need to distinguish that the metaverse is an actual product mm-hmm. that is owned by Meta, which was formerly Facebook. Mm-hmm. But virtual reality is the... Is the tool. Is the tool, mm-hmm. right? Is and the medium. Right. So it opened my eyes to like articulating better, right? Yeah, please, that water's for you. <laughs> articulating better, you know, what we were- I get we so were... excited about this stuff. Yes. So so let me say, so in this conversation, I'm like, we have to meet. 
So I invite you to our campus and me, you, and, and um, Krene. uh, Krene Tolson, who runs our, our, our uh, entertainment company and our, our studios. We just kind of start talking and you shatter my brain by explaining to me this concept you have mm -hmm. that's been in development that you've, you've, some of it is already active and drop us right in the middle, explain what it is, like this whole spiritual formation, technology, virtual reality. It was, it was, it was 2D on some level, but then there's mm. like this any medium. We can put interaction into any medium. Break it up in force, because I know my listeners want to know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so a lot, you know, we live in a generation now where people talk about, I don't know how much your listeners are privy to this, but there are more people in Generation Y and Generation Z, millennials and, I don't know, what, what are the Zs called? Do they have a non-name that's not Z? Um, I don't know. Anybody know? what? Gen Z, Gen they have Z. another name? You know, us millennials, okay. we just cool like that. It's just like, you know, <laughs> y'all can be X. TikTokers. Can, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the gen, um, that more people in these generations are um, anti or not affiliated with a church or denomination. Yeah. They're called the nuns. Yes, yes. So the nuns are growing. Yes. Um, I think in our generation, you have less nuns. More people say, I'm spiritual. Right. But what does that mean? Like, what does mm -hmm. it mean to say that you're spiritual? Well, there's an actual definition in the world of the evangelicals. Oops. You know, <laughs> <laughs> however you feel about those evangelicals. Um, there's an actual definition by a man named Dallas Willard, mm -hmm. who is a theologian and a philosopher. And it's like, to be spiritual is, to live a spiritual life is is measured by the degree of activities that you intentionally intentionally collaborate with God with. Meaning like what acti what parts of your mm -hmm. lived experience are you mm -hmm. actually intentionally mm -hmm. collaborating mm -hmm. with God on? So for me, right, if you look at my story, it's like did God want me to work in finance? Did mm. God want me to marry my husband? Did God mm. want me to move to New York? Did God mm -hmm. want me? All these major decisions, you know, we think that it has been it has been shared with us that it's very important for us to believe that Jesus died for our sins and that we are going to heaven. Mm -hmm. Stop A. <laughs> right. Now let's get you. Right. Keep moving on down the line. Right. And so interact interactive media and the metaverse and Web3 and these tools that we have through mm -hmm. technology where you can now, like even now, right, since COVID, it's like I can, where if I was growing up at church, if a pastor was preaching, if I didn't write the note the way I needed to write it, mm -hmm. I missed it, right? Mm -hmm. There was no way for me to go back and right. figure out unless I bought the tape that's at the right. bookstore, that's right? right? And it, that's if your church had a bookstore. Right. Um, but now I can stop it, pause it, rewind it. Yeah. I can cut a clip on YouTube, yeah. all these types of things. And one of the things is that people need direction. Yeah. God is a director. Yeah. All these things he's saying, my commandments. Sure. He is trying to put your life story into the frame of the kingdom. Yeah. And display his glory through you. Yeah. But if you don't have a way to understand that, if everything is unrelatable because you can't stop the tape or you every every single pastor cannot just answer a thousand personal questions at the end of every service. Right. Like we would have no pastors. Right. You guys are already exhausted, yeah. right, with just the weight 
of the job as it is. So there has to be something that is supporting you. Mm -hmm. And interactive media as a distribution platform for spiritual formation work and practices is that because it is a way in which every single sermon, every single worship experience can be personalized mm. with the right people yep. writing the scripts. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's what was that's what God anointed me to do. Because if you look at my story, we talk, I talked to you all these stories, right? But it's yeah. like I had to make so many decisions. Yeah. Up until I was 26, my great-grandmother was there, and right. she was an unbiased, right. gung-ho party yeah. because she had something to prove. Sure. And But then when she was gone, and then even when she was there from 22 to 26, when I had to make decisions that she just wasn't sure about, I had to rely on the Holy Spirit. I had yeah. to rely on my own intellect. I had to rely on... Um, all these things. So I, it first started off with me just watching uh, Bishop Jakes in mm -hmm. my cubicle mm -hmm. when I was still at AXA. Mm -hmm. Like he had this um, one of those like little shorts. Yeah. And I would just be like, well, what's he talking about today? Mm -hmm. So I just start binging these things. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm starting to in my brain because I'm a researcher. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've never really changed careers. I've just changed mediums mm -hmm. because as a finance person, my job is to find the value of something and to and to share that value with investors in yeah. the marketplace so that they know how much of their resources to give to that particular value, asset, class. Yeah. That makes, I'm researching, I'm yeah. doing due diligence, yeah. I'm looking at something, I'm calculating it, and yeah. I'm projecting out where it's going to be. Yeah. So I'm doing the same thing now. It's almost like when Jesus said, okay, I've helped you finish your fishing job mm -hmm. and now you're going to be do that you now you're going to fish men for me right right so Jesus is saying like God is saying to me you understand value you understand how to project value out and mm -hmm. manage its growth yeah do this for my people yeah and so but how we do that is we need tools yeah and these tools are the are the interaction in their interactive design, interactive media, gamification used for building the soul, building building the temple. So tell us how it actually works. So you're you're kind of the mastermind, you know, you mm -hmm. and your your team of this platform, this medium. So mm -hmm. how does it actually work? So when you go to church on Sunday, yes. you meet with other believers, you yeah. have a great time, you get a word. You get a sermon, you hear some music, maybe you go to Bible study and get an, a word that expands upon that sure. word on Wednesday. Maybe you don't. Sometimes Bible study is just different. But what about Monday, mm -hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Right. So our framework, number one, gives the end user or the consumer emotional intelligence capacity mm. because we grow up in a world that doesn't want you to know how you feel because if people really knew how they felt based on how we live, mm -hmm. we would have more, and this is a trigger warning, we have more Anthony Bourdain's and Robin Williams. Mm. It is it is to the benefit of certain systems that people are numb, mm. that they don't have as clear vision, mm -hmm. that they don't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them directing them right, left, so forth, so forth, and, mm. and really feeling. So one is called immersive media. Okay. So immersive media means that you're having, when you just watch TV, some mm -hmm. people you can do it, you know, like you might, oh, I cried at the end of that movie. Or, oh, you know, I used right. to watch like the Karate Kid and I'm like, oh, I can do that now, right? Like, you know, like you right. might be open to some yeah. content and it may take you there, but it's not the, the, the full-on intent. Sure. But with interactive media, it's fully capturing all of your senses. 
So it's either capturing all of your senses by putting you in a headset, mm-hmm. your eyes, your ears. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they put smells, haptics. It might mm-hmm. vibrate or sure. something like that. So sure. you're already present. Yeah. It's like that's the main thing, like presence. Yeah. Because once you're present, once you're not in your head, overthinking and you're actually filtering things straight through to your soul and mm-hmm. let, letting the spirit move you and motivate you, then it becomes a different ball game. Yeah. Then you're not you're not um following what culture told you how to respond to something or what your parents taught you how to respond to something. It's like, no, what how does God want you to respond to this? So what we do is we put people in experiences that give them emotional intelligence. The one help them really assess, examine their own heart space. Mm-hmm. How am I actually feeling? Mm-hmm. That's that truth. Yeah. They show worship us by spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. Now, once you have the truth, you can do what you want with the truth. But we want you to we want you to times the truth by spirit. Yeah. Not by culture or you know, you can take take any scenario sure. and a person can decide to go left, right, so forth. So what's the scenario? What's the decision that moves you closer to God, closer yeah. to love? Yeah. And so we take you through a process where it's like they call it on rails. Like a movie's always going to end the same way, mm-hmm. no matter what. Sometimes mm-hmm. you might get a DVD and it might have the director's cut, so you might get the alternative ending. Mm-hmm. In gamified media, it can have multiple endings. Hmm. So if your sermon's always going to end the same way, but now I have the capacity to take that sermon mm-hmm. and and have your your parishioners either experience that same sermon with a headset on or in the 2D on their mobile device or whatever. Sure. Making decisions yeah. based on that sermon. Yeah. Feeling things yeah. based on interacting with that sermon. They're gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna resonate. Because it, it, it'll produce a different outcome based on how they're responding. How they are responding. So it's individualizing it to a higher degree. If I'm if I'm, you know, teaching in a broad room, like I've I've only got so much I can do. Mm-hmm. It's it's gonna be broad. Mm-hmm. But the level of specificity now with this technology mm-hmm. allows for them to have much more of a personal experience mm-hmm. with the information and the exp- and what's being given. And you know this. Yeah. It's not hard to think about when you think about like how some people will be like, is my phone listening to me? You were just yeah. having a conversation with somebody and now you see an ad for something that you were talking about. Yes. It's already, they're already using this technology, this huh. artificial intelligence technology mm-hmm. to help you make purchases. Mm. My company mm-hmm. and our work is helping you deposit things into your soul that you need to live the life that you were called to live. Wow. Wait, say the name of your company. I don't think we said that. The Being Academy. The Being Academy. So it's a faith-based media tech company focused on the wellness of believers. Leveraging techno- big data, leveraging technology, a- technology a- AI. To extend the faith into the everyday lives of believers. And I really look at it, and I've been, I've been. Um, this may be an exclusive. I don't. Know. Uh-oh, uh oh. We got an, okay. Oh, give it to us. Um, I really have been looking at this as something that God has really been talking to me about. New covenant apostles. Hmm. Say more about that. So apostles do what? Tell the people. Just that's your world. An, <laughs> an apostle sets things in order. An apostle steps out in the uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. An apostle is responsible for creating framework for those who come behind to be able to thrive and flourish. Mm-hmm. They're the first one. They're the baseline. They're, mm-hmm. they're the bottom. They're the ones who walk with Jesus mm-hmm. and then really are the bedrock mm-hmm. of the church and all of its 
amplification, but mm-hmm. they're they go in first. Mm-hmm. So we had those apostles, yeah. right? You just yeah. described those apostles yeah. next. Yeah. Our current apostles today build churches and build church communities. Sure. And they are doing that in many in many different ways. Yeah. New covenant apostles are building temples in hearts and minds. I feel like I think I know what you're about Hebrews to say. Hebrews 10, 16. Yes. I will write my law mm-hmm. on their minds and on their hearts. If I talk to you right now mm-hmm. about your favorite movie mm-hmm. as a kid, mm-hmm. you could tell me all the things. You could recall. You would have to see. Absolutely. You recall what scenes you love, yeah. what outfits, yeah. what, where you first saw. I mean, like Some people are obsessed with like the Batmobile yeah. or like the, um, what's that, Back to the Future car, yep. things yep. like that. The Those DeLorean. Types, uh-huh, exactly. Those <laughs> things change people's mind. You ask yeah. people about sermons in that way. You may or may not get how that influenced them to make a decision in their life. Okay. But when you write it in their heart, mm-hmm. when you write the word in their heart and in their mind, when you really create this temple of keepsake on the inside, it can never leave them. Then you, we really have Emmanuel. Then it's really like when I am deciding where I'm going, I didn't know that God cared about what church, what college I was going to. Sure. I didn't know that God cared about where I worked. I didn't know about God cared about whether or not I was going to show up. This is I do now, yeah, but this yeah, was like yeah. ten years ago. Yeah. I didn't know whether or not God cared about my everyday decisions, but He really does, and He you really don't have to walk it out alone. So and these new apostles in your mind are now in the are like Philip in Acts eight. Okay, they're shepherding one on one. Come alongside. Come alongside. Running next to the chariot, and, talking uh-huh. to the Ethiopian eunuch. And what is the and and here's the thing. So Philip was um, up at a revival or something, okay. and he was had a lot of success. Yeah. And this is one of the scriptures that God gave me in 2010 around that time with mm-hmm. my brother. He showed me Philip. And yeah. that's actually how I made the decision in 2011 to go down and leave my job and to okay. go off on this journey that I didn't know where it was actually going. He showed me Philip and, he, and it was like, yeah, you've had a lot of success sure. in finance at this company, but I need you to go down and meet with one. Okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's the it's one person that I'm about to work with or whatever. But God was like, no, I need you to meet one yeah. on one. I need you to touch people one-on-one-on-one individually, that um, that eunuch is what we would call an influencer. Sure. Right? That, Absolutely. That controlled all the High money up. for Queen Candace. That's High right. up. That's right. That eunuch had a scripture upside down. Yeah. Yeah. And Philip got in the car with yeah. the eunuch and said, hold yeah. on, let me turn this right, up, yeah. right, right side up yeah. for you. Let me break this down for how this relates to you. Yeah. And they both got to living water. And that's what we have to expand our capacity. We have to this technology helps us open the doors of the church so that now we can help people decipher and interpret one on one which which scriptures relate to them. And not just one on one which relates to you because you just want to go and buy this Porsche this weekend. Sure. But in in connection to what is going on, what your pastor is um, sensing for the larger body, the larger community at that in your area, your local Bible, as Joel Austin, make sure you go to a local Bible-based <laughs> church. <laughs> but this is now a virtual spiritual formation coach. Yes. Someone who Advisors are ad- what we call them. Advisor that comes alongside, mm-hmm. but through the means of this technology. So so when you're going, you're being going, you've been sent to the one, really you've been sent to create a platform yes. that allows for people yes. to go one-on-one yes. through this mechanism. Yeah, so we have multiple entryways. So we have advisors. So my my chief spiritual officer, Joe Thackwell, who mm-hmm. um, headed up Christian Life at USC, mm-hmm. also um, studied 
in the Dallas Willard okay. realm, yeah. and Jane Willard was his, uh, they call it in the evangelical world, spiritual director. Sure. Um, he's been working with me for seven years now, helping me refine the framework, because this is a framework that I've literally been picking up piece by piece as God has like been giving it to me, but it's been more solid mm-hmm. before I got to California, and we've been just, I've been just making it make sense in all of the different worlds, the mental health world, the spiritual formation world, and then how we translate that into the media and the technology world. And so there is what we call advisors, because everyone has a, well, not everyone, but you should have a financial advisor. Sure. And so my background in finance is like, if I wanted to tell you the value of a company, I could do that, right? I could mm-hmm. go and get their P&L. I could get their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. I could get their cash flow statement. Mm-hmm. I could get their 10K, their 10Q, which is going to be all of the research and decision makings, right? If I want to tell you the value of a person and their decision, how am I going to tell you that? Hmm. You need the equivalent of those things. And we have them. That's this what is, this is what we've been this building. This is what you've been this building. This is the fr- the framework is like what is your profit and loss. So we are looking at ourselves at that we say not spiritual coaches, spiritual advisors because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is your coach. Sure, sure, sure. We're just going to tell you, we're just giving you tools to help you build this relationship with mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit so that you at no matter no matter where you are in your journey, you can get a clear picture of your intrinsic value, which yeah. we know it is that you are a child of God. Yeah. But you've got to uncover through all the things that the world is saying that you are, and the and these tools help you. So that's the advisor's one on one on one. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have what we call spiritual wealth assessment, mm-hmm. which is the which is the overall thing, and that's just helping us see where's this is the life, the ideal. This is his um, perfect will for you. And then you're probably living living in some way, shape, or form in his permissible will, in okay. God's permissible will. What's the what's the gap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between that. And so that spiritual wealth assessment helps us figure out what areas of your life are you truly standing on the word and really built that built your house on rock? And what areas are you not? And where do you and where do we need to help you fill mm-hmm. that in? And then we have the interactive piece, which is like a day to day you can access and you can tap in and you can figure out how you're feeling wow. and you'll get scripture or you'll get a meditation or you'll get all these different things that you can get inside of that subscription based service. And then we can put that in VR and we and we do have a VR model for it that's truly immersive and that like tracks so you don't have to um it's less work for the person, but yeah. it's all. But it also depends on like how comfortable you are in a VR headset. Yeah. But it's it's an environment that's inter interactive. Whereas like when you're in church, you have no idea what your parishioner is thinking about. Right. If I put them in a headset and I put them in an environment, I'm just I'm going to be able to tell what they're considering. Hmm. And then through them engaging in that, it's almost like that's why I love that scripture again. It is the glory of God to hide a thing. It is the honor of kings to seek it out. Is because the more that you're in the environment. Which is already happening anyway. Sure. When you go on Google, yeah, they're learning more about you. That's right. To sell you more things. Yep. Every click, every, every click, scroll, every scroll, everything. everything. They're, yeah, they're measuring it and, and measuring then developing it. now a composite of who you are about, based on how how, how they absolutely think interpret, you should interpret exactly. it, what that means. Absolutely. What did that mean that you yeah. decided at two o'clock in the morning to call WebMD? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, what do they think that that means? Absolutely. So now you're limited to their understanding yeah. Yeah. of what certain things mean. You go into our system; it's been being built based on what does the Bible say mm. this means. What does the Bible say when you That's say huge. this, or when yeah. you say that, or when you do this? And what does that mean for you? Yeah. And we don't want your data. Right. You can care less. Yeah. We want you to live well. Yeah. So here's what's crazy. So I typically end our times asking a question 
about like what's the science fiction play. Mm-hmm. What you just said is a science fiction play. And and I mean that in the most respectful way. Like, what you just described about what you all are building and creating right now to take spiritual formation to a, a complete higher level, to me, is the thing that we dreamed about. Mm-hmm. We knew that the advancement of technology could serve the church or serve the interests of spiritual development, but I think you've captured it. And you and your team are doing some things that our our forebear could have only dreamed about. Yeah. And so if you could like put put a button on the end of our dialogue as it relates to both the the promise of technology and spiritual development and the hazard. Mm-hmm. If you could end this conversation with that, how would you caution us as we move forward? Everything boils down to us under two umbrellas. Is it love or is it not love? Mm. If it's not love, you cannot relate to it. Because mm. you were made in the image of God who is love, mm-hmm. to love, to be loving, and to love. Yeah. And so coming into your truth and living a life of truth and not being afraid of how you feel, not making decisions based on how you feel, but just having, so we say we provide space, Mm -hmm. we provide tools, and Mm -hmm. we provide partnership. That partnership is we are providing you the capacity, uh, we are increasing your capacity to partner with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Every, who has space right now? That was the one thing when I was like, in New York and I was mm. this young professional girl and I had all this weight on my shoulders and I just needed to cry. Yeah. And I just needed to say, I do not feel, I call it now when I'm advising people, the ouch effect. Yeah. Just say, ouch. Yeah. It's okay. You're in a safe space. Yeah. Or for some people on the flip side of that, people who have like lived their dreams, um, they have it hard to say, yes, mm-hmm. I love this. I'm mm-hmm. excited, afraid that somebody's going to, if they let people know how much they love it, it might get taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting back to love hmm. and getting back to relating and building our lives on love is everything. And we, and we need to engage more. First of all, we need to understand what love is yeah. from God's perspective. And I have a, a great um, recommendation. There's a book called All About Love by Bell Hooks. Okay. And she has the most wonderful definition about love and her definition of love is that a love is to commit your personal will to the spiritual growth of yourself or another Mm. love is about spiritual growth and then she has like six components about Mm -hmm. what love Mm -hmm. are and i can map that back to fruits of spirit all the things Mm -hmm. in the bible Mm -hmm. but if some part of your life is not not going to be perfect not going to be painless sure but the narrative of love love covers all if you can see the love in it you're headed in the right direction. And if you can't, you're not headed in the right direction. I love it. Clarissa, (laughs) thank you so much for being with us. We've been absolutely blessed. Listen, you all, you can find uh, what Clarissa's working on, uh, the Being Academy. Please Google it, search it out. Uh, www.mybeingacademy.com. There it is. You guys check it out. And as always, be sure that you like, comment, share, 
subscribe, tell a friend, call a neighbor, uh, get in on this conversation. Misfit Manifesto, not only talking to misfits, but talking about misfits and talking for creating this space so that we all can kind of commune together. All right, thanks so much, you all. Thank you, Clarissa. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening to the Misfit Manifesto. I trust this has been as you know impactful for you as it has been for me. Now, what makes these type of moments in this community special is when you're a part of it. So I want to encourage you to go to misfitmanifesto.com. Join the conversation and join the community. I believe something is on the horizon, but I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with you. So come be a part and let's see some amazing things happen.